0: Welcome to the All About You podcast. My name is Sheila and I am your host. In this podcast, I invite everyday people to tell their stories of their travels, passions and what makes them happy. So if you have a story to tell, please contact me on All About you Podcast at yahoo.com and let's tell your story. So now for today's conversation. Welcome back to the All About You podcast, and this is the second part of my interview with Louise McLaughlin, who found out that she was donor-conceived. Louise, you've mentioned that you've met your sister Jess, and you've now met your biological father. Can we just go back a bit to talk about that first meeting with Jess, and then I'm, I'm guessing the decision for both of you to actually start looking for your biological father?
1: Yeah so I met again you know this all happened with Jess four years ago or so and like I said I think it was obvious that we were kind of on the same page looking for the same thing just from our first message exchange Um, but yeah we met in uh, London Waterloo station and it's funny you know I always think of myself now that I know her better I think of her as kind of the the more shy of us and I tend to jump into things feet first but I was terrified the day we met, you know, and I remember we were both texting each other and I was like, I'm going to get sick. And she was like, I'm going to like, <laughs> we were just, yeah, absolute messes, I think. And I get there first. And for everyone familiar with Waterloo, you know, there's that big central clock kind of hanging down from the, the ceiling in the centre. And I stood there, I was like, I'll meet you under the clock. And then I was like, what, why am I meeting someone in the busiest station in the UK under a clock, which is literally in the middle? Because everyone's rushing, everyone's running, everyone." Somehow looks like they're making a beeline towards you, and I was seeing women who could have been in their fifties, and I was like, "Is that Jess?" I'd see like a man, I'd be like, "Is that Jess?" <laughs> like my brain was just seeing her face and everyone, and it got to the point I was like, "I can't do this. I need to. I just need my back against something, you know." So I like run over, I put my back against like boots or W H Smith or something. I text her, I'm like, "I moved," and still like people are just rushing past me. I'm like, I just, I'm, I'm just so overwhelmed. You know those like advertising signs that are like rooted to the ground so they're like slightly taller than a person and they kind of they're not digital but the the sign kind of rotates and moves through I just hid behind one of them and I was like trying to calm myself down and then she texted and she was like oh I'm here and I like looked out and she was like walking towards me I was like well she didn't see that and then it turns out we went to dinner and it turns out she had seen it. She had approached from the side I was hiding behind and seen me kind of crouch down and was like, that's not going to be the first time I see her. I'll just preserve her dignity and do a little loop. <laughs> but that was actually the first time she saw me it was like hiding, which is just so out of character. But I guess it just like shows how overwhelming. And I just like I remember again, you know, this high pitched voice that I had when I was telling my flatmate about all of this it just seemed very unique to this whole situation. I just remember I was talking and talking and talking and trying to fill this silence because I was like, if we don't get on amazingly, you know, all of this is ruined. And she was just going the other way. She was quite shy and kind of trying to absorb everything. So I was just chattering away and she was listening. But then we get to the restaurant, we sit down and all of a sudden we're just on the same page and we're just having this conversation It's just so honest and lovely. You know, she's talking about her parents and how she knew and when she decided she wanted to find siblings and I'm talking about that. And I think the waitress came over maybe five times, kept trying to take our men our um order. We were like, sorry, haven't even looked at the menu. And in the end she was like, you call me, you call me. But that's how easy and free flowing it was. And I think yeah, we've just we've just always been on the same page just about how fast we wanted to move. And I always say it's like the, the weirdest first date ever, you know, because I think we so badly wanted this relationship to work and there's always that fear of you know which we now say both of us has you've looked for this for so long and the fear is do you find it and then not like each other or do you find it and you like them and they reject you you know and is that worse than never finding anyone so I think we were both eager to move forward with a relationship but both very wary of what that rejection might feel like but yeah I mean it, it was great I think I I said I love you to her within two months or something and she didn't say it back for another five which again is very funny like it's very like a first relationship where you're kind of you don't want to be that one in the relationship who says it
0: first god forbid they don't say it back and she didn't <laughs> can, can I just ask When you were sitting across from each other at the restaurant, could you see yourself in Jessie's face? Were you looking to say, yeah, she's got the same eyes or the same mouth? I think, yeah, there's definitely, we always laugh. We both
1: hate our arms. We definitely have the same arms, unfortunately. I think what we both found was we we do look similar. We have a similar kind of nose, similar cheeks, definitely but it's more the facial expressions which is fascinating to me because you wouldn't you'd think you kind of absorb them from the people that you see you know you think you'd mimic your parents or your siblings but yeah there there's times that we will pull a face or we'll make a gesture and we'll go shit that's me you know and that's that's what's really interesting to me and then I think I can't remember. So her boyfriend observes that more. I think it's different when you're kind of facing someone and trying to see yourself. But obviously he will look at both of us side by side sometimes. And he says that the gestures and I think like the laugh or something, he'll definitely see things that kind of make him mentally take a step back and go, wow, that's kind of bizarre.
0: So we've gone now from you meeting Jess and you obviously get on and and you're both so happy that you've got found each other and you've got the connection and you get on because Mm -hmm. even normal families often don't get on. So that's great. So, Louise, what happened next? You both had a conversation about looking for your biological father. You know, this takes us up to last
1: year, a year ago, pretty much, Um, maybe a year and a half ago we have built an amazing relationship you know I mean again I I I refer to her as my sister actually um as opposed to half sister but for the purposes of this podcast I've probably been saying half sister but in many ways you know we didn't we missed out on that sibling relationship which is quite sad so we're kind of like this hybrid of friends you know kind of best friends and sister and then this weird middle ground between it but we've just been building up this sibling relationship as best you can when you haven't grown up together you know and I remember I treated her like a friend very early on and she I can't remember she wanted someone to do her a favor and I said I'd do it and she was like no you're my sister I'm not going to trust you to do that I was so taken aback because I was like I've never done anything that would make you think that I wasn't trustworthy in that way or whatever and she was just like no you'll learn you know because she already has a sister she has half sister that she's grown up with so she's kind of like almost teaching me how to be a sister. At times she's like you you tell your sister off, you're brutally honest, you know, you slag them for this, you tease them over that. And that's been kind of a fun process. I kind of like nudge that line with her a little bit. I'm like how much can I tease her? Like it's it's funny kind of learning to be a sister. But yes, yeah, so we're 3 years into this relationship. And I don't know why. I don't know what triggered it. I had just started making the podcast And I was, you know, like I said, that audio that my flatmate thought to take when I realised Jess existed. And then just, you know, there's a few videos of us over the years, like you'll hear us on bumper cars together in one episode, I think episode three. But there's not a huge, you know, wealth of documentation from that period, because obviously I wasn't making a podcast and I just didn't, you know, I was so overwhelmed I didn't think about it but then I'm making a podcast looking back on finding her and you know building that relationship and while I'm making it I again I don't know what the trigger was I don't know why but maybe it's just because I was dipping my toe back in this world in such a big way and I just text her one day I was like would you mind if I actively look for this man you know that our donor And I think it kind of came out of nowhere because we had kind of agreed that, you know, actually meeting you has answered the questions I needed answered. But she knew that I. I think she knew that it's not her place to say, I can't find my biological father. Right. Because if we hadn't met, I would be free to kind of make that decision. Um, But at the same time, she didn't have a huge interest in it. And, you know, she's grown up with two moms and a sister and you know, her grand, her grandmother has had a very strong influence on her, very like female dominated household. She doesn't really have, you know, know, like me not knowing what a sibling is, she doesn't really know what a dad is. So it was just never a thing. But she was kind of like, you know what you go for, tell me about it if you want, but I don't really think I've got much interest in it. And I was like, okay, fine. Like, I think we just fell on a side where neither of us wanted to be disrespectful to what the other person wanted. But we decided that there was a way to pursue this and i i felt you know if at least if this goes wrong if we find him and he rejects us horribly i'll take the brunt you know i'll i'll pass that information on in a very you know non insulting way to jess um but i'll be the one who gets rejected i'll be the one who takes that emotional hit but also it was you know if it goes well i'll i'll take that as well and we'll see if jess wants to share in that down the line and i didn't really know how to go about it you mentioned search angels i think earlier um and there are kind of resources to help people track down i mean i say resources it's literally just volunteers who are giving their time to to help people who want to find family and have some kind of link on ancestry 23me some kind of trail to go down and i think within 2 weeks of me asking Jess would she mind if i looked for him and me literally just sitting on how we would do it i got a match on 23me that was close enough for me to realize I got it when I was out at dinner at my friend's house and it just popped up and straight away I was like this is the match and I didn't say anything because I didn't want to get too excited again there's a lot of kind of preserving (laughs) your emotions in this but I remember going back home and I recorded this for maybe episode three again of the podcast and I couldn't sleep that night and I I don't know if anyone's seen the Queen's Gambit but you know she's like on her back looking up at the ceiling and she can see all these chess pieces move moving And that was how I felt. I could see this ancestry DNA family tree in front of me and I could see this stranger who I just matched with and I could see me and I could see Jess. And I was moving all these pieces and trying to think. I was like, I think she's cousins with my biological father. And I was going, how would we trace that? We go up to the to her parents and then we go across. And I just realized that this was the link that was close enough. And so the next day I messaged Jess and I was like, I found this. I'm going to keep digging and all of a sudden Jess was like oh my god (laughs) I need to know everything and she just came out with this enthusiasm that I don't think either of us expected so I messaged this woman and I'm like hey how many cousins do you have but her family was UK based so all of a sudden we have gone from potentially any man in the world kind of thing to 20 male cousins based in the UK so we're we're closer and she says, funnily enough, you know, I, I didn't say I was donor conceived or anything at this point. She's just a Canadian, very open, lovely woman who is just kind of not ask, asking questions and just sharing. And she goes, actually, I think someone has a family tree. She's like, let me reach out to my grandmother. And she adds me on Facebook and she tags her grandmother or sorry, her aunt, her aunt, her aunt, and says, hi, Sandy, do you still have this um this family tree? And so I go, oh, so Sandy's her aunt so that would be linked this way so I click in and I send the profile to Jess and I go this is how this woman's related I was like I think this woman might be the mom of our biological dad so this woman could be our grandmother and Jess just goes crazy again you know she loves the internet investigations and she goes down this rabbit hole of looking at all these photos of this woman with all her sons we find two sons And she sends me the photos and straight away, one of them is just a hybrid of my face and Jess's face. And we just keep sharing photos from this profile. And it's just so clearly our biological dad. Like in my mind, there was no question about it. And we find a website and he's got a number listed on the website. And I think there was a moment, you know, Jess was like, what do we do? You know, do we write a letter? Do we... And we knew that if we reach out and he's not receptive, and if it's not our biological dad, he's going to turn to his brothers and go, there are crazy people. (laughs) There's two women who are trying to find, you know, they're claiming you're their father and what the fuck, like, don't answer. Um, Don't talk to them, don't reply. But I was so sure that it was right. And I knew, I knew from the way Jess had said that she had thought about messaging me for a week and then she had crafted that email. And there's now two of us. Right. So we can't write an email and send it off or write a letter and send it off. Like we have to do this back and forth. And I'm just, I just—I just can't do it. I've, I've waited long enough. I'm not doing it. And again, I'm a journalist. You know, I, I cold call people all the time. I'm like, just be a journalist. I'm so sure this guy is our biological father. So I just say, Jess, I'm going to call him. She's like, you're absolutely insane. I was like, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> so I just go to the website. I put this number in and I call him. And again, you know, I'm in the middle of now making this podcast and I'm like, this is just I have to capture this. And it was that moment of, you know, and I've said this as a journalist, you don't record a phone call without letting the person know you're recording. Right. So from a journalistic point of view, this was over the line, really. But I really I, I wasn't really thinking of the podcast, if I'm honest, at this point, I knew it could be the only time I ever spoke to him and only uh, the only time I ever heard his voice and I also just wasn't able to listen in and I just thought she has a right to also hear his voice and also share this moment so I recorded it kind of so she could have it and then you know I'd be lying if the podcast wasn't somewhat floating in my mind but I think yeah I just I was just acutely aware of this might be the only time we ever speak you know so I call him and it rings out, it goes to voicemail, I was like, ah, shit, and then I get a text saying, hi, who is this, I was like, oh course, how do I sum this up, I was like, um. and I had seen from his website that he was into drama, he was into motorcycles, all these things listed that I'm also into, so I thought the best thing to do is go in and establish myself as a human, while adding a few hints along the way, so I said, you know, My name's Louise. I'm a journalist. I live in London, donor conceived. I love motorbikes and I love drama and I love whatever. So, straight away, I think he hears journalist and he goes, Oh shit. Um, But also sees donor conceived. And he replies, And how can I help, do you think? And I read into that and I'm like, Oh shit, this guy is really like coming on like a bit cold. And then I was like, You know what? We're just going to call again. He's online. (laughs) So, actually I think he called me he must have gone in a panic and called me back so I hit record and we're just chatting and I'm going I don't really I don't even remember a lot of the details of the the initial part of that call actually um but again a lot of it made the podcast um because I asked for his permission at a later dates. and I just kind of said you know I'm donor conceived I'm reaching out I think you might have had something to do with it does that make sense and he's going yeah <laughs> So we're chatting away and we're on the phone. Maybe the call lasted probably 15 minutes or 50, sorry, 5 0. We're chatting away. He's coming to terms with it. He's on a, a beach in Greece, you know, facing the biggest shock of his life. And then he just gets to the point and he's talked about me. He's asked me about my upbringing, my parents. And then he goes, Are you the only one? I went, Actually, yeah, I was going to bring that up. There's actually two of us. Uh, he goes, Oh my God, what's the other one? said she's called Jess and um his voice just breaks and that that moment definitely made the podcast it's one of my favorite moments ever from this whole journey you can just hear him go oh my god there's two of them and just hearing his voice break after hearing a name I think there's so much power in a name and just the way the emotion just cracks and I just remembered that in that second just going I'm so glad I recorded this for Jess you know her existence He doesn't even know her yet, but her existence has just, you know, had this incredible, audible reaction from this man who is a stranger, but is also our biological father. And I know, you know, she has listened back to that. And that's obviously the moment that really moved her as well. So I think, yeah, they I gave him her number and she texted a little bit. And I think the next day they jumped on a call. And then this was all in pandemic times. So difficult to meet up. But I think kind of a month later or so, I think it had kind of all the restrictions loosened a bit. We uh, met outside and had a picnic. And um, I say that I love motorcycles. You know, he took me on the back of his motorcycle and Jess loves outdoor swimming, which um, the two of us did as a bonding experience. And it turns out he loves outdoor swimming as well. So it's literally like we make jokes, but it's literally if you spit him down the middle you get me on one side and her on the other you know she's very creative and loves the outdoors and loves you know kind of hippie-ish things you know she'll dress that way and loves nature in every form and then I'm a bit more kind of rock and roll jump feet first head first into everything and not really think about it and that's just yeah it's it's just so obvious where we've got certain things from it's really fascinating it's that like nature versus nurture thing but because of the pandemic we've met him maybe three times so far so definitely still very 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 early days we have a WhatsApp group but yeah people ask how I see him like I just I think without I don't think this will be hurtful for anyone to hear but I don't view him as a father because I have a father I have an amazing father who I love so deeply I kind of view him as a quirky uncle who looks creepily like me. <laughs> but I do find that because, you know, he's not the man who brought me up, he's now in this weird middle ground role. I do find that I kind of tell him things that I wouldn't tell my parents, like things like someone I'm dating and I wouldn't necessarily want my parents knowing certain details, or, you know, I've got drunk with him before, for example, and I would never really get drunk around my parents. So it is just this really weird middle ground of just kind of working out what our relationship is and what role we have in each other's lives but it's yeah very early days but it's been it's been amazing.
0: So Louise can I just ask you was he waiting for that phone call do you think has he ever spoken about that?
1: So the really interesting thing is that he has been so happy to have been found by both of us you know he he loves it he embraces it our whatsapp group named by him is called the miracle you know he's just so about it but he never thought about tracking us down i don't think he ever knew that there are resources out there he never signed up to 23andme never signed up to ancestry but i think from his point of view as well we 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 don't have a definitive number from him on how many donations he made we reckon there was probably around 30 of us waiting to be found. So, you know, me and Jess and 28 others potentially could be higher, could be lower. So, I think from his point of view, from any donor's point of view, especially a sperm donor, where you can, you know, get those numbers up a lot more, there's always a fear of, you know, if I sign up for a DNA test, do I suddenly have 30 kids? <laughs> so, I think for him, it's kind of, you know, two is manageable. But yeah, it is it is an interesting exercise or a thought experiment when you think about it as, you know, again, he's been so happy to find us. But he was never, I truly believe he would never have made that first move, which is interesting.
0: The whole story, Louise, is a roller coaster. I think that is the only way. And, and I'm listening to your story. You actually went through it and I feel it's a roller coaster. Can we talk about your decision to make the podcast? Because you've talked about making the documentary for Channel 4, but we have got the podcast, You Look Like Me. Can can we cover some of that, please?
1: Yeah, so I I had wanted to do it for a while. Like I said, you know, I have only been speaking about my personal experience for maybe six years. I wrote an article after I found Jess which was my first time being open and public about any of this and it didn't go viral but it went viral within the DC community if that makes sense so I went from never talking about this openly to people from all around the world reaching out and going you described what I could never put in words I completely feel the same way you know the mirror moment that I alluded to earlier came up where people were like oh my god yeah exactly that's exactly what I do it's so validating to hear someone else say it and I just realized that there was so much strength in it it's it's so funny like I said you know so many people talk about going through fertility struggles but I feel like there's been this generation of silence in many ways of the people who result from that fertility treatment when there's a donor involved and people underestimate the age that we're at you know I'm 30 there are people who are advocates in this space who are 40 50 Um, you know the first IVF baby Louise Brown I think is 13 years older than me so she'd be 43 at this point you know we're older than people think we are and I just thought that there was such power in telling that story and so many people reached out and they said you know I'm not allowed to tell because my parents told me not to tell but I wish I could share my story like you've shared yours and i think it just triggered something in me where i was like you know what i'm a journalist and this is something i know a lot about from a personal angle but now these people are reaching out to me i i want to do this more and i wrote another article for vice news which didn't focus on me at all which just focused on different perspectives of different you know again the donor conceived family and perspective really varies in many ways there's so many tales of people who are still looking people who find siblings people who find their parent and get accepted people who get rejected people who get threatening restraining orders you know I mean it's insane there's this wealth of stories of the way people are received or not received and then just the pain of still looking or the acceptance or the you know you could just you could write novels on it and again I just got a good reception to that but I also got so many people saying I wish I could speak out and I thought one these stories deserve to be told but two, these Stories deserve to be told to open up this conversation so that people who feel like they can't speak out can start speaking out. And Fertility Week was rolling around. You know, it comes around each year in the UK, I think two years ago, maybe three years ago. no, It was 2019. I was pitching stories all the time on this. And again, as I say, it's not a sexy title. You know, it's hard to make it sellable to editors a lot of the time. And a lot of them kind of turn to me and they go, oh, you know, we did an article on that. And it's always like five years ago, you know, and they think they've solved the the, covered it in in, in its entirety because they did one article and one section of it a few years ago. It's really frustrating to try and push these stories over the line. So I was really excited that Fertility Week was coming up because as a journalist, you have to peg stories on certain things. I was like, finally. And I pitched and I pitched and I pitched and i listened to you know the big broadcasters the bbc and you know channel 4 there were a lot of radio talks especially on fertility or from the point of view of potential donors recipient parents people having fertility struggles i was going where the hell are the voices of the actual human beings who result from these things are we not included in this conversation like one we should have our own space and two we should be included in those group discussions of people who were about to use a donor to say I'm the product of this and this is how I feel and this is how we feel as a community it should be done and that voice just didn't exist and it drove me crazy and I went onto this Facebook group and I just had a bit of a rant about it and I was like this is our one week where we should be held up and given a voice and we're being drowned out again and again and again every year even though we're now adults and we can add our perspectives to this. And someone spotted my post and said, "I completely agree. I want you to work on a project where you elevate these voices and I can back you financially because I think it's really important. This guy is also donor conceived. And we had a chat. it sounded great, but you know I'm in a full-time job. I just don't have the time. And then the pandemic hits and I get made redundant, and all of a sudden I have time. So I get back in touch with him and we go, okay, this is how we're going to do it. And it just so happens that I start recording, you know, the the process probably took five to six months and I've wanted to do, you know, one, I've been looking for biological family for, you know, two decades at this point. And two, I've been thinking about this podcast for quite a long time at this point as well. And the fact that they intersected in this tiny five month period that I, while I was recording, managed to also find my biological father during that recording process. It's just like the most serendipitous thing that honestly could have happened. And it's, you know, I'm not really a believer in everything happens for a reason or anything like that, but it is one of those moments where it's like, wow, that could not have gone better, really. But again, you know, th- the hook of the story, what I think people keep coming back for, right, is that underlying narrative, which is, my beginning middle and end that's the that's the draw I guess because those cliffhangers that you know lead you to come back for the next episode but that was never really what the podcast was necessarily been about either you know it's setting myself up as look I have a personal story here but it was always meant to elevate those many 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 different stories and I think that's why people you know the donor conceived community is distrustful of the media in many ways as well because we haven't really been done many favors (laughs) over the years like I said I feel like we do get ignored and I think I had a special position in that way because I am donor conceived as a a journalist and I have this kind of wealth of articles and work behind me now that kind of prove that I can cover this in a in a trustworthy way so yeah and I think I had a, a discussion with my my producer who's incredible um very early on and she was like how do you want to do this you know do you want this just to be a bit of a vanity piece and you want to just document your own story and we were like no absolutely not we want you know we we need again that thing that brings people back each episode but the idea is to show the wealth of stories that exist out there and we, we haven't even touched on them I mean my you know season two again I'm crazy busy in work but season two is kind of looming over me and people are asking for it and the demands there but the stories are already there and they're just as captivating and just as interesting and just as human as the ones that we saw in season one it is just remarkable the wealth of stories and again you know my story actually is very bland and very you know lucky but you know, I didn't know, then I did, I did a few DNA tests, and I'm lucky enough to find a half sister and, uh, and a dad, you know, it could have gone very, very differently, there could be huge stories of rejection in there, there could be restraining orders, like I said, there could be 200 plus siblings, there's not, you know, it's a very basic story, but the fact that people have been so interested and captivated by it, proves that there is an appetite for these stories that are, as I said, very at their core just very human and very uh, about the quest to know yourself and where you come from but yeah there's there's many 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 more interesting stories to come in season two
0: so louise before we finish can i ask you what's your relationship with your mother and father now now that you've got jess in your life as your sister you've got your biological father what's your relationship with your family now? Have you sort of kept them in the loop of what you've been doing through your journey? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I interviewed my mum and dad, actually, for this podcast. I interviewed her kind of, again, to relive that kind of initial conversation where she told me the truth, age 13. They have met Jess. They think she's wonderful. You know, the night I found Jess when I was being recorded by my flatmate, I made the decision to call my mum that night and tell her and she was wonderful you know she she was so happy for me she said I know you've been looking for this for so long I'm delighted I was a bit of a coward I made her tell dad <laughs> because I think again you know that guilt still hangs over me I was like I think every discovery on this road in my head is a reminder to him of you know the fact that he and it's a reminder to all of us I guess that he's not my biological father and I don't you know that's it's that's still a sore spot I guess for all of us it's still sad you know but they've been wonderful they adore Jess as I said and the reason I wrote the article when I met Jess is because I don't want to have a wedding or whatever those big future events may be in my life where my family meets her and I pretend she's a friend you know I want to really honor the relationship that we have so that was a no-brainer for me and I think they knew that and like I said you know they've they've been wonderful breaking the news to them that I'd found Neil was very difficult um by dad Neil as I said I was in the process of recording the podcast I recorded pretty much everything you know I recorded the first phone call with Neil as I said I recorded our first meeting I recorded the night I realized that that anti or that 23 me link was going to be enough to find him but I couldn't record telling my parents that was the one line that I never wanted to cross really and I thought about it but it just wasn't worth it to me I recorded myself before I spoke to them I recorded myself kind of pacing around in my room going this is what I'm going to tell them worrying about what they might say worrying that I was going to ruin my trip home and ruin you know any events that were coming up I think my mum's birthday was maybe the next day and I was really afraid that I was going to ruin that but I physically couldn't keep it in so I'd found out I'd found him kind of a month previous I hadn't been able to travel home because of the pandemic and then restrictions loosened again so I'd kept the secret and had just been gnawing at me I think mum kind of didn't get why I hadn't told her but firstly I wanted dad to know either before she did or at the same time at the very least But to me, that was just not a conversation that I could have over the phone. You know, I needed to be there to physically hug him and say, and I had met Neil at this point. We had met once. I wanted to just be able to look him in the eyes and say, he's not my dad. You're my dad. If anything, this has reinforced that 10 times more, you know, and it's, it's a really funny line to walk. I feel like I always try and do these podcasts with the presumption that no one will listen, but also being respectful of the fact that they may listen. And I don't want to tell anyone's story for them Um, and I don't really want to define a relationship as one way or another but obviously you know it's important to the narrative and I feel guilty for Neil for saying he's not my dad but then I feel guilty for my dad for finding Neil and saying that I get on with Neil and I feel like it's always this juggle of like emotional juggle and gatekeeping again of like trying to protect everyone involved even though both of those parties chose to go down this road and I didn't, you know, I'm the only one, I'm the only person here who didn't make the decision to go this donor route and yet I'm the one juggling everyone's emotions all the time. Um, And I think that's something that DC people do complain about all the time, you know, it's just they're constantly on the lookout and like babysitting people's emotions when they're the ones who didn't make this choice. Anyway, yeah. Dad was upset, obviously. I cried, dad cried. It was hugely emotional. But no, both of them are fine. I don't bring it up. They haven't seen photos of him. I don't know if there's gonna be a meeting in the future. Again, you know, I'll have big life events. I would imagine if I get married, Neil will be invited and obviously my parents will attend. And I don't know, I have no idea what that would look like. I mean, my dad and Neil are very different people. Um, I don't. I can't even imagine that. I mean, that to me is the most sitcom moment that could ever exist. I I have no idea, but yeah, they know and they are respectful of it and they are understanding. It's it's still it's it's a sore spot still, but they've been wonderful.
0: Louise, I'm exhausted just listening <laughs> to this poster <laughs> of a story, but now you're saying you are making a season two. Of you look yes
1: like yeah me. it's it's in the works, it's developed the the episodes are pitched out. It's not physically recording yet, but it it will when my when my work dies down a little bit it kind of it's going to nod towards as I said, you know my all my records were destroyed, and then there was a law change, and there's been a big law change in two thousand and five in the u k where people people's records were actually kept for the first time legally. And that came about because of donor-conceived advocates who are donor-conceived themselves and put themselves forward and made that law change and helped that happen. And I think it's disingenuous to kind of do a UK-based podcast around that without kind of nodding to them and speaking to them. So it's going to look at the advocates who have changed the way and paved the way before I even added my voice to this. I said, you know, we have a generation of people willing to speak. But again, there's older generations who have done a lot more and you know made tangible differences in this um in this sphere so i want to talk to them and then there's you know there's the darker side of it there's fertility fraud there's doctors who have inseminated women with their own sperm instead of donor sperm and there are you know the donor conceived people who are the result of that who speak out um so there's going to be light and dark in it um, obviously my story in many ways has kind of not come to an end but got answers um who knows what might crop up while I film or while I record but I think this the second one is going to be kind of less about me and more about even more of the stories that that exists out there
0: well that's certainly something to keep us waiting for isn't it hearing about season 2 louise thank you so much for agreeing to do the podcast congratulations on your podcast you look like me Louise, thank you so much for sharing your story, the emotions, the ups and downs, the doubts. Louise, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's been great. Thank you so much. I hope you have enjoyed the conversation. Don't forget, if you have a story you would like to tell, please get in touch. My email address is allaboutyoupodcast at yahoo.com and thank you for listening.